This segment brought to you by Trent Cotney. Hashtag support the fighters. TrentCotney.com. We're talking mixed martial arts. Myself, Richard Hunter, Frank Mir, UFC heavyweight, and his head coach, Ricky Lundell. Lots to get to on today's show. UFC 191 is in the books. A big weekend of fights at the MGM Grand Garden Arena this past weekend here in Las Vegas. And uh, we were all working very hard uh, at the Grand Garden Arena in various capacities Saturday night. I, of course, uh, was laboring very intensively in a uh, media seat, cage side. Uh, Ricky was a little closer to the action. He was, he was uh, cage side. He was cornering our co-host Frank Mir. And then uh, some would say Frank probably had the toughest job of the night. He was actually in the cage fighting. Good to talk to you guys. And uh, why, don't we, uh, why don't we start there? We'll talk about everything that went on on the uh, card. First of all, uh, Frank, uh, you got you and uh, Andre Arlovsky in the co-main event, uh, a fight ten years in the making. Some would say the most anticipated matchup on the card. I think a lot of people, storyline-wise, were really looking forward to this. Uh, this fight also had uh, important UFC title implications moving towards the future. And I've got some audio of myself talking to Dana White about uh, this matchup and his thoughts that we'll uh, play here in just a minute. But uh, it went to a decision. It was a unanimous decision for Andre Arlovsky. Uh, two of the judges had the fight scored 29-28. One judge had it scored 30-27. I will tell you that I myself and uh, most of the people that I talked to on Media Row had it scored 29-28. For you, Frank, you've probably seen that uh, in the media. But let's uh, let's start there from you yourself. What, what were your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it was a really close fight. And, and when they went to announce the decision, I remember thinking that. I'm like, okay, well, the first round, neither one of us really had a really great advantage over the other one. Well, you know, it could go either way, and if they gave it to him, so that's why when I heard the 28, 20, uh, 29, 28 score, that's what I assumed was going on. Mm-hmm. I figured, okay, I won the second and third rounds pretty handedly, so they obviously gave him the first round. Um, and then when they read the 30, 27, I was like, ah, I don't agree with that. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of rough. I don't think it was that much on my favor. I thought it was much closer than that. And then when they named uh, Orlowski the winner, I was actually a little stunned for a second. I'm like trying to run it back through my head. I'm like, wait a minute. I took him down and I controlled him in the second round uh, for at least two minutes. Striking, you know. I mean, I caught him with shots. He caught me with shots. Neither one of us dropped each other. It's you pretty- dropped him. You knocked. You dropped him in the third round. Right. And that was over the second round. In the third round, I, I, I remember hitting him and him falling down. And me jumping on top of him, going for Kimura. And then he was able to get back up. And I'm like going, wait a minute, I dropped him. Like, how do I not win the round? I mean, he didn't drop me back. The strikes are relatively close in comparison on who landed what, you know? Mm-hmm. But so then I would feel that the strike landed, that if you rock somebody and they fall down to the ground, that carries more weight than just punches landed. But, uh, you know, well, most of the media, from what I read on social uh, media and all the different news outlets, tend to agree with me. I haven't really read one of the, any reputable uh, sources that says that that they had it, you know, completely agreed with the decision. Um, and then, you know, some retribution even with Dana White coming out afterwards saying that he agreed I won the fight. And, you know, hey, I've seen worse, I guess. You know, afterwards running through it in my head, you know, 
uh, people were, you know, you know, how bad do you feel about it? I'm like, well, I mean, I did see Johnny Hendricks get ripped off in <laughs> Canada where I thought he won four rounds to one hands down, and yeah. he didn't win that decision either. So, I mean, just uh, the decisions are what they are in our sport. They happen, uh, and it's still just a factor that we just still can't seem to find a way to improve upon. What, uh, what, what everybody seemed to agree on on Media Row where I was sitting is that you won the second round, and you're right. When the 30-27 uh, uh, score was announced, our initial thought – I mean, I'm speaking for everybody, but the, myself and the people that I talked to, our initial thought was, wow, so they gave Frank all three rounds. It, we, it never occurred to anybody that that second round was in dispute. I thought the first round was the questionable one. That's how I came up with my 29-28 score. Before we uh, discuss that further, Ricky, your your thoughts as head coach? Well, I think that the first round was we're, – we're all even saying, you know, hey, we were surprised on the 30-27 marker – um, that we were like, wow, okay, we, we locked that one in. But in the first round, Frank controlled the fence line. He controlled the octagon. He was he was dictating the pace. The striking was close inside the first round. But when it comes to octagon control, Frank definitely controlled that first round. In the second round, you know, Andre Arlovsky landed zero takedowns. It was obvious that he stalled on bottom. He wasn't looking to work. He wasn't looking to stand up. And Frank was controlling that position. And then what is very frustrating for me as a coach a lot of the time, and and that coaches are actually starting to teach this and work on this now, is if somebody like Frank Mir or or uh, anybody with phenomenal jujitsu gets on top of you, now you're being rewarded for locking your hands around their body and just stalling. Cross your feet, lock your hands, and don't worry the, the ref's going to stand you right back up. Don't worry about moving. Don't worry about any of those things. And and it sucks that there's not a penalty in place or John McCarthy doesn't say, hey, man, you got to work yourself out of this situation, not the other way around. It's your fault on bottom that you're making the fight boring because Andre was forcing there to be a lull in action, locking his hands around Frank, and he didn't want to stand up. He didn't want to get up. He didn't want to fight back. And because of that, he then was rewarded by John McCarthy for making the fight boring and then standing both of them back up. So Frank would have been on top the rest of the round in that scenario. See, I thought this was a key point of the fight, what, what you're addressing there, Ricky. So in the second round, uh, Frank, you, you take Andre Orlovsky down. You're in his uh, close guard. And as Ricky said, he goes double underhooks and basically clamps on, keeps it tight, right? Now, at that point, um, you know, I, I noticed... That and that's of course anything somebody's going to do uh, on bottom. To, it, it's basically like tying up when you're on your feet. It's right? a way it's like to it's a up. way to just hold yourself sure. from getting struck anymore. Right. 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 So so at that point, obviously that limits uh, the your ability to work on top, Frank. You can try to create some space, peel him off, whatever. But uh, you know that's a that, that's a very defensive position for him to be on. Now, what I thought was interesting though was at that point you're you're doing some damage. You got some. Uh, some body shots going, some elbows to the body. And when he clinches up, now my, my thought was that uh, if, if, if you're working, the stand-up doesn't happen, uh, at least for now, because uh, to, hopefully to the referee it's going to look like somebody's trying to improve position. I did notice, and, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, but it looked to me from media row like you're kind of looking at the referee like, you know, hey, he's, he's tied up with me. We're not, we're not working here. And maybe looking like uh, there would be a warning from John McCarthy to Andre, hey, let me see some action. Instead, it seemed like without the warning, uh, Big John just went ahead and stood everybody up, which unfortunately worked against you because now the fight's back on the feet. Did I read that the right way, or were you surprised the stand-up came as quickly as it did? 
Yeah, you know, it's hard on the rules. <clears throat> I think that originally my thought on it was that back in the day you had guys that would take people down and basically reverse. They'd be on top, they'd clamp their hands, and they'd hold guys down. Right. So th- I understand that they'd sit there and go, okay, well, if you're not improving your position, you're not trying to cause damage, we're going to start you up. And that's how that rule is now. I think there needs to be an amendment to the rule going, hey, if you are on bottom and you lock your hands and you just hold on and I have my hands spread open, I'm not trying to hold you down just for the sake of holding you down. I mean, at one point, both my hands are on the mat. I'm trying to push on his face to try to cause separation and and try to get us just to fight. That's why at one point when he locked up completely, I just kind of looked at John. I'm like, what do you want me to do? He just locked his hands behind my back. Mm I can't do anything right now. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm trying to put my hands in his face, try to get my form across his throat, but he's adamant about just tying me up. About stalling. Yeah. Adamant about stalling to a stand up. Right. And, and so he's playing the rules to that, uh, uh, to, to that means. But let me cut you off for one second, Frank. What's the point of this sport? Yeah, no aggression. It's about entertainment, right? And so we're rewarding someone to win a fight for not creating entertainment. We're rewarding somebody for not fighting back. We're rewarding somebody for not forcing a submission, going for the finish, doing something like that. And that's an issue, Richard, because if you're not rewarding behavior that wins fights, we are causing a lull in the action. We're causing it to be slow. Dana White, for instance, he said, hey, you know, I I would hope this fight had been more exciting. Well, you got to talk to Big John and tell him, hey, man, you got to warn the guy on bottom for stalling because that fight is boring. When guys just lock hands and they hold themselves in position, they're not looking for a finish. It's boring. Frank was landing big elbows from the top. He was looking for big, heavy stuff. He was looking to fight there. But if you reward people for stalling, then we're going to head into a spot where everybody's just going to stop learning jujitsu, stop learning how to get on a hip, stop learning a stand-up, stop learning submissions. Why would I need to learn any of that, Richard? I'm just going to sit on bottom, lock my hands around your waist, and I'm not going to move because John will stand me up. Now, in jujitsu class, you know, we're, we're taught basically not to do that because nobody's going to learn. But even if somebody does, and I'm talking about clamping on from the bottom, but even if somebody does do it to, to frame out, to create some space, to peel them off. Now, that's jujitsu class. Let me ask you guys. Uh, at, at an elite level, Frank, how difficult is, is that much easier said than done? Or with a guy with the strength of Arlovsky, if he decides to clamp onto you like that, is he going to be able to, to hold there indefinitely? Oh, no, it's very difficult. I find it difficult. I mean, if uh, you know, that's why clamping hands around someone's waist in other sports, too, is, is considered stalling. You know, if we were wrestling in college and I take a guy down and I just clamp my hands around his waist and I connect my hands, they've deemed that stalling because they realize, is it impossible for me to get out? No, there's techniques and there's ways and maneuvers and nothing's impossible to get out. But it definitely stalls and slows the match down and makes it to where, okay, it's very difficult to get me off of you, a full-grown man with his hands wrapped around your waist, locking hands. And it also leads that, well, if my hands are locked, what am I doing? I'm really not too, and, and, and like, to, to really get to the point of what Ricky's saying, it kind of takes away from the point of trying to fight. Mm-hmm. It's saying, hey, I'm just going to sit here and hug you and hope that the referee intervenes and improves the position. And I, I don't fight fault Andre for it. I mean, the guy's using the rules 
system set ahead of the rule system. Yeah, I mean, that, we're talking about at the core who has to improve the rules. Yeah, no, they, they, they definitely to need to make rules. that. I think that if you're on bottom, just hugging a guy, I don't think I should lose the position. I'm on top. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, yell at the guy on bottom. And, and guess what? And if people start losing decisions, boo, the fan should boo him. Yeah, and if we start taking that round away from guys, if they just hold on, well, then guys will go, okay, you have two options. You can either hug me and lose the round, or you can at least open up, go for an arm bar, a stand up, a choke. You can try to punch from the bottom. You can try to do something that's much more favorable to you winning, which I think is more martial arts based anyways. I mean, who's just going to go out into a street fight, you know, by their car, some guy hits them with a double and they wrap them in the garden, hold on to them until the police show up. I, mean, I guess that's my stra- plan. <laughs> uh, let's do this. Coming up next, we'll talk some more about this fight. The other rounds too, that played some key factors in the decision. More next. Keep it here. This segment powered by Real Water. Get real at drinkrealwater.com. We're talking mixed martial arts. Myself, Richard Hunter, UFC heavyweight Frank Mir, and his head coach, Ricky Lundell, recapping the events of UFC 191. Even though it was the co-main event, it was uh, it was certainly the main event in our hearts around here. Frank Mir taking on Andre Olovsky, and that's what we're uh, talking about. Our co-host, Frank, uh, loses a, a unanimous decision, 30-27, 29-28, and 29-28 on the judges' scorecards. Uh, the second round, certainly uh, debatable. Uh, most people i think uh uh not named adelaide bird gave that uh uh, second round to frank but i want to ask you guys about the uh the other rounds as well and your thoughts there now that to me the first one is the most nebulous that's the one that's that's easily the most debatable that seems to be the one that uh uh if 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 you had a 29 28 score for frank like i did you you gave that first round to andre arlovsky the third though was, uh, you know, that uh, to me, guys, was the story of the last 90 seconds of the round. Because a lot of times when you see somebody or when judges, I think, sometimes see somebody get cut open. And Frank, you suffered a cut there over your uh, your right eye there at the, the, the very tail end of the fight. A lot of times, for some reason, that type of thing, I don't know if it's just the, the visual of the blood or whatever, but that seems to have an undue impact on judges. Because you you got Andre down in that round as well. That's where you were with, uh, with a punch, right? And that's all. Yeah, you dropped him. That's also where you're trying to set up the Kimura. So let let me get your thoughts, Frank, on that third round, and then and then to you, Ricky, and uh, how how you thought that one played out for yeah. you, Frank. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's actually uh, going into it. That's probably what helps me with my. Uh, you know, I, I look to see what I can do and what I can control the situation, and I realize it in the third round. We're both trying to find a, you know, an angle and, and, and win the fight. And, uh, you know, I took a shot on him and he sprawled and I pulled back out. And so then I took another shot and I faked it. And I came up with a hook punch, you know, a lead hook. And he, when I hit him, he actually spun to his hands and knees and exposed his back to me. And then as I went to go cover him, he rolled to his back and uh, we went into the half guard. At that moment, you know, I was sitting there going, wow, I've stunned him. I've rocked him. You know, instead of going for ground and pound, this is the perfect opportunity to uh, finish the fight real definitively, and I'll go for a submission. So then when I went for the Kimura, he did a good job of slipping under the underhook, and he exploded up, and I, and I wrapped up. And then I, as I wrapped up the guillotine, front headlock, I was like, ah, I don't need to drop and make a sacrifice move right now and end up on bottom to go for this move. I just rocked him and dropped him, and then he walked. Uh, we walked towards the cage. I put him there, and I kind of looked up at the clock, and I was like, all right, less than two minutes left. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, This is the part that I'm angry about myself about was I don't think that probably I should have 
I should have at that point still tried to go for the finish, still looking for to go ahead and figure out a way to put him down or knock him out or submit him. Instead, because I watched MMA so much, in my brain, I'm doing the math. I'm going, ah, oh, I've won the fight. Unless he rocks and drops me and evens this up, yeah. Um, even a takedown, I've always felt if we're fighting each other and I take you down and then you stand up and you hit me with a punch and drop me, I think most people the would sit there and go, damage. yeah, the punch is damaged. Like, well, he took him down, but he hit him and the other guy fell down. That's much more it's a i mean takedown but it's uh it's one by hurting someone's brain right i've hit you you're, you i've stunned you with a shot that's so effective that you've lost your sense of balance and you've turned around and fell down and then uh you know so as we pushed up against the cage i was sitting there going well he's pushing me now he's holding me against the cage and i'm like well you're not going to win the fight just by stalling me out you're going to have to do something and so then when we did break he threw punches i threw punches at the same time to have the exchange back and forth and then when he came back in and we hugged he clashed me on the side of the head and uh, I felt the blood start to come off yeah which was upon tape review it's a headbutt that that causes that 100 percent uh, we went back we reviewed the tape we uh, we all went through it and it was actually a headbutt clash but John McCarthy was on the other side of you at this point he doesn't see what happens so it takes five to ten seconds he walks around there's blood coming down your face so then he turns to the judges and he says we have a we have a cut due to a punch, which was very incorrect. Now, all the best refs in the world, if you don't see it, there can be a mistake that's made. That was a crucial mistake that happened in this fight. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's the part that, I mean, I know everybody on my social media is screaming and, you know, that, you know, hey, you know, you know, you got ripped off, you got robbed. I'm like, well, you know, I'm not happy about the decision, but I'm looking at the like, well, you know, in the last 90 seconds, I thought I did enough to win the fight because of what, you know, the criteria laid out ahead of me. And instead of going out there for the finish, I started looking towards, okay, well, you know, I haven't knocked him out or submitted him yet. Andre's a tough, elusive guy, and he still hits really hard. You know, I'm up on the judges, you know, scorecard. Uh, I, I kind of pulled over an old thought process I'd have in jujitsu. There's times in matches where if I'm up on points, I'm looking over, there's a minute left. I'm like, am I really going to go ahead and jump for something right now and take a chance of, you know, being submitted back? I haven't mm -hmm. submitted this guy. He's tough. I've won the match. Let me just play a more conservative, intelligent game, and I'll counterattack if he really leaves himself open. But for the most part, it's on him now to win because I look at the scorecard, I'm winning. Well, I got to tell you something that's confusing to me, Richard, is when I get, when I'm on UFC.com and I'm also on uh, Fight Metric, which is where they get their information from, on that site, okay, you got zero, you're, you got one takedown in the whole fight. You have zero knockdowns, period, across the board. So it says, uh, as far as striking goes, it's 39 to 24. And now a significant number of those over 25 are going to be leg kicks and knees. And then right here, you have zero knockdowns and zero, and you only have one takedown. So the second round, for some reason, that was never scored for you in your favor. Nobody ever scored it. Nobody ever looked at it. And uh, I decisively remember it happening. You're talking about the fight metric numbers. I'm talking about fight metric, which, which was on UFC. Yeah, right. fight metric, fightmetric.com, their numbers. But then those numbers are also the numbers that carry over on the UFC's.com's page. And so when you look at both of theirs, the numbers are off. Yeah. Well, uh, Richard, how does that work? If I hit someone and I get on top of them, they mm -hmm. either have to say that 
it was a takedown. Maybe they thought I hit him and I tripped him, mm-hmm. or he fell down. It's a knockdown. Yeah. But how is it neither? Well, the 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 problem is that it starts with a human, uh, you know, hitting a button saying this happened versus uh, that happening. Now that's the first time I've looked at the fight metric number, so I don't I don't know what's behind that or if wow. if they can be recalibrated or something. But you're right that that is not to my recollection, uh, the, the way that uh, I, I saw the fight play out. Now, let me ask you and these guys. these fight metric numbers, one problem with them is fights are scored with octagon control, Richard, and it does not look into that whatsoever. And that's yeah. a frustrating part no. because we talk about that, but then when we look at the numbers, we don't see any octagon control. We don't see those areas. Now, that being said, the judges don't have access to those numbers. So yeah, when they're the when they're scoring, a, yeah, yeah, when they're scoring, they're they're basically just going off of uh, the the eyeball test. Less. So let me less. ask you guys about the uh, one one question that came up in this fight, and uh, we'll get to some uh, post fight press conference audio in a second with myself talking to Dana White about his thoughts uh, on this uh, heavyweight co main event between Frank Mir and Andre Arlovsky. Uh, Frank, one question a lot of people had. They said that uh you know it looked like you were working to set something up on the feet a lot in the fight there was a there were several moments where you're kind of stopping looking in almost looked like maybe you were sort of trying to bait him into something uh, did, did we read that right was there a was there a game plan there a little bit just because leading up to the fight uh there's a little bit of a problem that occurred that actually influenced my weight my my ability to move around in the octagon and so i kind of made a last minute game plan adjustment because of what i had to work with mm-hmm. instead of crying about the situation going well what am i going to do i'm going to pull out this isn't ideal it's like well these are the cards laid ahead of me on saturday this is how i'm going to deal with it and uh the thing is is that now that usada now has taken over as far as testing for the ufc i did all my paperwork for the medications that i take for you know uh taking adderall and you know for my uh, adhd well all of a sudden monday comes along i have a, an approval from usada because i have you know a psychologist uh, uh, a physician and i've done all my pop- paperwork and everything they've asked me to do uh, was a 29 page report that i had to send to them and have them you know it was reviewed through their medical staff and deemed yes you're not trying to you know look for an advantage here you're just this is something that you live with and mm-hmm. like any athlete with asthma or anything else this is just what we're going to do well then the monday of the fight i find out that like well and i don't know what the discrepancy between nevada athletic commission and uh usada but somehow it seemed like a little bit of a uh, usada felt that this was going to be okay and going through well they found out that nevada said no just because your doctors approved it who are physicians doesn't mean we're going to approve it we don't have enough time so mayor you have to get off your medications which at that point uh i put on about 12 pounds of water from being on medicated and so mm. uh very heavy and very bloated felt sluggish in fact it was the first time and i was laughing the whole time we're at the weigh-ins and an hour before we weigh because i made a joke and stepped on the scale hindsight you know thank goodness uh i was two pounds no three pounds overweight i was 269 you had to cut down right lose a couple of pounds never in in my career ever had to do that and uh you know and i was 260 you know 261 uh you know the following the the previous week on saturday when i had weighed myself and all of a sudden now you know i'm 270 i'm like man and so uh we had to jog it off for an hour you know and and run around and shadow box and ricky and angelo and, and james you know trying to help me make sure that we made weight and then i made it 
the next day though, uh, in the morning when we did our shakeout, I just felt heavy, felt sluggish. I'm just like, man, I don't have the same spring I've had for the last, you know, six weeks where I'm exploding and flying around. And, and, uh, even in the countdown show, I think I looked more explosive and more energetic because it hadn't caught up to me at that point. But a week later of being off the medication, I'm having a bad rebound. And so, uh, when we went out there, I, I realized that I didn't have the mobility that I've had for the last couple months. And so I was like, okay, well, what can I do here? Well, I can't, you know, go step for step with Andre. He's 30 pounds lighter than I am. And I'm holding about 10 pounds of water and I feel sluggish, uh, you know, more so than usual. And so instead of being explosive and popping around, I'm like, okay, when he comes in, I know he's coming in with the right hand. I'll catch him with shots and move him in and let me bait him to fight. And, uh, when he comes in, I hit hard and I'm just going to catch my shots and stun him and try to knock him down. So that became kind of a last second, you know, adjustment. Like, how am I going to deal with the situation that I have today? All right, coming up next, we'll play some audio. Myself talking to Dana White at the post-fight press conference about this fight, and we'll also talk about what is uh, in the future for uh, for Frank and Andre possibly in the heavyweight division. Then we'll look at the rest of the UFC 191 card. We do that coming up next. Stay right here. Keep it here. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This segment brought to you by Trent Cotney. Hashtag support the fighters. TrentCotney.com. We're talking mixed martial arts. Myself, Richard Hunter, UFC heavyweight Frank Mir is here, as well as his head coach, Ricky Lundell. We do this every week with you. And uh, we're talking about Frank's fight against Andre Arlovsky at UFC 191 this past weekend at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. A fight 10 years in the making. And uh, Frank uh, is on the short end of the scorecard Saturday night, 29-28 on two judges' scorecards and 30-27. On another, that being said, the outcome appears to be controversial. Most of us uh, on Media Row, uh, myself included, had it 29-28 for Frank. And uh, let's play a little audio here. This is myself talking to Dana White about his thoughts on the fight, uh, how he thought it played out, and also what he saw in the future for uh, Andre Arlovsky and Frank Mir. Uh, I want to ask you your thoughts on the co-main event. Uh, you know, when we get a, a, a fight like that, we end up arguing about the scorecards and, you know, w- was it split, who scored at 30-27 and all that sort of thing. Uh, your thoughts in terms of, do you, did it look to you like, like Andre did enough to stay in that conversation where, you know, he could just uh, be in the, the next title shot if things were to play out the right way after Velasquez and Verdum? And also, did you th- feel like Mir showed enough that, that he continues to fight? top 10 opponents you know uh, Andre what Andre has done coming back into the UFC and going on the run that he's gone on it's amazing I mean obviously you know he, he the judges gave him the decision tonight in this fight and his his fight against Travis Brown was unbelievable I don't know I don't know if many people picked Arlovsky in that fight um, but he's been on an incredible run and the, unfortunately this this heavyweight division is tied up right now and you know the fight won't happen probably till March, uh, the next heavyweight fight, but we'll see how this thing plays out and we'll go from there. Mir lost tonight. I mean, thoughts on his performance? I, well, for these guys, you know, for these guys to still be here doing what they're doing, it's, it's impressive. You know, I don't think the fight tonight was the fight that everybody expected, but, you know, it, 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 you know sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't turn out that way. 
So, you know, guys, Dana was, I think, a little bit guarded on uh, making too much of a statement in terms, of, in particular, in terms of what he saw in the future for Andre Arlovsky. The, the little bit of news coming out of that was that uh, uh, apparently Fabricio Verdum does not want to defend his heavyweight title until March. So I don't know that anybody who's not named Cain Velasquez is going to be thinking about a title shot anytime soon. They're probably going to be needing to take a, another fight in the meantime, and uh, more on that in a second, because uh, that brings up an interesting question but uh real quick before we do talk about that uh frank finally just to kind of close out some of the questions uh surrounding your game plan uh we were talking in the last segment about the fact that you went in uh heavier than usual and you were just kind of explaining what what was the 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 backstory to that the coming off of the uh the adderall uh, medication but let me just follow up real quickly then and ask you was that being heavier at all? I mean, you're naturally, you're going to be a little bit heavier than Andre Arlovsky for sure, but uh, a lot of people thought that maybe the game plan was to, to, to intentionally come in heavier so that, uh, in particular, like in that second round, when you're in Andre Arlovsky's guard, you're heavy on top or you've got impressed against the cage, that there was a weight advantage. Was there? Was that part of your thought process? Well, I mean, I knew I had a natural weight advantage, and if I would have just moved how I was able to move when I fought against Bigfoot Silva, how I fought against Todd Duffy, I weighed 260 and I had a weight advantage but I had mobility mm-hmm. um, but in those fights I take Adderall but the those commissions said no you can't and I knew leading up to the fight that I wasn't able to take Adderall so I was able to wean myself off and be off of it three weeks before the fight so that way my, there wasn't such a shock to my body yeah but leading up to this fight I basically didn't know until six days before hey you can't take your medication anymore and it's like Man, I normally don't do it this way. Normally, mm-hmm. I you know stop taking it you know three weeks before and wean myself down you know uh, so that way it's not such a shock to my system. And I think anybody that takes any medication. If I told you, hey, you're abruptly going to stop taking a, a, a controlled substance, mm-hmm. do you think it's going to affect you? It's like, well, yeah, it's going to affect you. It's going to do something to your body, and uh, and so that's more or less adding that extra weight, that ten pounds didn't help me at all because I already had, you know, if I'd have came in, say, the same weight I weighed with uh, Bigfoot or, or, or um, you know, uh, uh, Duffy, Duffy, I still had a 20-pound weight advantage and strength and weight on the ground, but I'd had mobility. And so all of a sudden, all I did now is I became, you know, a big tank, but then also my tracks got mm-hmm. taken off, you know. So I was like, oh, I was a tank before, but at least I was an Abram. I was moving around. And now it's like, eh, let's take away your mobility. I'm like, well, that sucks, especially against somebody who's so mobile as Andre. It's like I was kind of planning on using that mobility to explode and be able to cover distance and now I'm having to put my hands down bait him get him to come in and and try to catch him now as a reaction which isn't as effective as being uh you know active Mm -hmm. is there going to be a plan now because of the confusion over the Adderall that you just won't risk it will you once you have a fight now this was a short training camp too we should point out because it was a short notice fight so you know most fights you're going to have that eight-week training camp is the thought process now that you'll just stay away from that so that you don't think it was growing pains going into this fight um because USADA was new Mm -hmm. normally I just deal with the different commissions that I go and fight with and I go okay I'm just dealing with Nevada I'm just dealing with California Mm -hmm. Brazil whatever the case may be but this time now we have this extra layer which i'm all for and i think it's a great thing with having usada and going through them and i was happy about the whole procedure they're very you know they explained everything uh and i and i was very uh you know cooperative 
but then all of a sudden I do everything for them and then all of a sudden turns around. It's like, okay, well now you have to do it for Nevada and now there's not enough time. I don't think anybody really understood what was going on. I didn't really get the impression that USADA, you know, they're also working with the commission in this, in this, with the UFC. This is all new to everybody. Yeah. So I think it was basically that, you know, the ball kind of got dropped. And at the end of the day, I mean, that's the only part about, I mean, and there's really no way around it when it comes to drug testing. Um, at the end of the day, the, the, the overall theme is that you, the athlete, are responsible. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care what doctor gives you what. I don't care what supplement store. I can walk into a GNC, pull something off the list, and let's say that somebody at that factory didn't clean a vial the right way, and they put through something before that, and it ends up in that substance, and it's not even labeled, and I take it, and they don't figure it out. I'm still busted. I'm still the one in trouble. I'm still the one held accountable, even if they can't explain it in any other way. And so that's pretty much how that kind of works. So in this situation, it occurred the same way. I'm looking at USADA, I'm looking at Nevada, and everybody's like, uh, we're working together for the first time here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't take the medication. So moving forward, the thought is you will be able to take the medication. Right. There, it just won't be. You won't well, get caught up in a six-day notice. No. Kind of well, and then also, too, in the future, now that I know that I'm good with USADA, as soon yeah. as I know I have a fight coming up, say they choose me to fight Florida. Right. Well, all of a sudden, eight weeks out, I can go to the Florida Catholic Commission and go, hey, uh, is this going to be okay? And they say, No. Okay, well, now I know how this works because I've done it every other fight in my career. Leading up to the fight, I will three weeks out stop taking the medication, but I won't stop it abruptly. I can take, you know, take things in in smaller dosages for a couple days and wean myself down. And then, you know, a week, you know, 10 days out, now my system's clean and my body's adjusting, but it was much more of a slow ramp instead of six days out. Hey, man, you went from the max, you know, your your natural, uh, your prescribed dose to tomorrow morning you can't take a pill so So there's an interesting rumor out there and it involves a rematch now uh as you heard dana white there in the press conference audio uh you know he he seemed lukewarm on the idea that that andre arlovsky had vaulted himself into imminent uh you know title shot contention and he also revealed there that the heavyweight title may not be uh, defended until march at fabricio verdum's request so uh frank i know you were vocal about the fact that you know you felt like because this fight was 10 years in the making 10 years from when you two were originally supposed to fight that it kind of got prematurely made we didn't have the full build-up we didn't have the full training camps it was a co-main event instead of maybe a main event like on a fox card or something so uh that being said and then really a question for both you guys ricky you as head coach as well does that uh rematch interest you and if so how quickly could it possibly be made because if the heavyweight title isn't going to be defended until uh, you know that long, they could do a couple things. They could either have you guys be the main event of a, a Fox card, or they could possibly put you on the uh, the co-main event of the heavyweight title shot, and then have that as an insurance policy in case somebody gets injured. Because we know that happens all the time. Ricky, you first. What do you think yeah, about you the know, idea? You know, I I would love to see Frank fight Arlovsky again. I think I, I I didn't I didn't get to say this yet, but I think Arlovsky did a great job coming into the fight. I think that the entire camp they you could tell that they had worked hard and they they really really had game planned and. And we had two veterans in there, you know, who were who were playing chess against one another to uh, to see who was going to get that heavyweight title shot. You know, everybody knows that 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 fight was so so close. And I was I was surprised in the rankings that Frank didn't jump up because Arlovsky's number four in the world right now, and Frank didn't fly up the rankings at all. He's still sitting at number ten in the exact same spot he started at, which was strange to me. I thought he'd fly up. I would love to see this fight built the way that it 
it should be built. And I'd love to see them have more than four weeks. I'd love to see what could be done on an eight-week camp. And I'd love to see this as a five-round fight, not just a three-round fight. I feel that the, the rounds were playing into our favor. And uh, I think that we were, we were moving down that, that route. We know Arlovsky comes out strong. And he's, he's great at coming out powerful and strong. And, and over time, Frank is a, Frank's a fighter who, who sits in those five-round ordeals. I think it'd be good. And I'd love to see a tough show. Frank, what are, that's my, all right, that's interesting too. Frank, what are your thoughts on a on a rematch? And Ricky's throwing in the wrinkle of uh, the two of you guys coaching uh, Ultimate Fighter against each no, other. No, I'm all for it. I think that would actually be positive for both of us. And it's again, you know, I have no ill will towards Andre. He didn't uh, uh, manipulate the judges and making whatever call they made. He went out there and fought a hard fight, and and you know he tried. You know, he put brought his best game that he had that night, and I did the same. But I think that uh, it would be a service to both of us because I don't think that you know from what I read and what I'm looking at. Uh, he obviously is not getting a lot of uh, acclaim that he won the fight, so it's kind of a hollow victory. So I don't think either one of us really walked away with satisfaction in that fight with no clear-cut, you know, I felt I won the fight, but I didn't get the decision. He has a decision, but I don't think that, you know, with the, the, the clamoring of what's going around, he's honestly feeling like he won that fight and can put me behind him. And, and so I think that, you know, this would be something we can set up and, and do a fight in the future and be able to establish a clear winner between the two of us. Feels a little incomplete. How about another uh, go at it? We'll see what uh, matchmaker Joe Silva and Dana White have in mind as the future unfolds. Keep it here. We'll keep talking mixed martial arts with you. More next. This segment powered by Real Water. Get real at drinkrealwater.com. We're talking mixed martial arts. Myself, Richard Hunter, UFC heavyweight Frank Mir, and head coach Ricky Lundell are all here. Now, uh, you guys obviously had your minds on uh, the co-main event fight, your, your, uh, your, your fight with uh, Andre Arlovsky there, Frank. But uh, talking about what else happened on the main card, and we'll run that down. First of all, in the main event, uh, Mighty Mouse, Demetrius Johnson defends his title against John Dotson. Uh, this time, not nearly as close as it was the first time around. Uh, those two, about two and a half years ago, uh, fought a, a five-round fight that Mighty Mouse won, but uh, it was 48-47 on a couple of judges' scorecards. This time around, not so close. A complete shutout on one judge's scorecard, 50-45. The other two judges scored it 49-46. And uh, I don't know if, if either one of you really got a chance to watch the fight yet. I was in the back pretty angry. Sadly. I understand, Frank. You Sadly, have a pass. Yeah. Frank I, has a pass. I for was not, with Frank. Yeah. He was, he was I think that, yeah. Ricky I was, might have been the only person more angry than I was in the back. <laughs> <laughs> I was upset. I was really upset. He was upset. I wanted to be mad, but I looked over. I'm like, I can't be too mad because I almost like I really, you know, I'm like, uh, yeah. don't trip out and smash yeah. somebody. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, was he doing his, was he doing his Ricky Lundell brand of cussing where he's like, filth, flarn, no. Worse than that, like I would look over at him and I kind of had that dumbfounded look like what happened and then he just kind of like would look at me with his eyes and kind of shake his head just like ah. <laughs> 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 like uh, I don't know what to tell you man <laughs> give me a few minutes let me work out my my let aggression. me get good with myself and then we can and then I'm gonna I'm gonna help I'll be you, there for you bro. but just hold on to something <laughs> I'll get to you just one second <laughs> I mean it didn't help that everybody in the back not one person walked. Hey, man, I'm sorry about that. I had you in the fight. Hey, man, I'm sorry. Every hey man, person, sorry. commissioners, yeah. 
I mean, people yeah. in the in and outside the cage as we're walking out. At I one mean, point, I'm like, "Hey guys, can we, you stop?" Announcers. You, you, I mean, you're just rallying me up even more here. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mighty Mouse uh, <laughs> did what Mighty Mouse does, and uh, he uh, he he defeats John Dots, and now he is uh, really I, within striking distance. I want to go back and watch that fight. Yeah, it, you know, it it was not a great fight. It was a technical display of what Demetrius Johnson does. So in that sense, uh, it's 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 artistry to watch. And I but, definitely uh, like to. Watch I, well, I looked over him for about. I watched about two minutes of it when uh, I was uh, waiting for them to uh, pull the blood out of me, you know, for the blood test. And I was sitting there looking over, and then uh, I just saw uh, within that two minute span, or maybe even a minute thirty seconds, I just remember seeing Demetrius Johnson land like about seven straight right hands, where it was just like. He's very fast. He's, He's very fast. He yes. is very yes. fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he uh, he is now within striking distance of that all-time uh, title defense record that is owned by Anderson Silva. So uh, what's left? How many more? Three, I think. I think that's right. That's unbelievable. Yeah. It's a very quiet. You know, run that he's on. It's amazing what he's People able to do. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the most underviewed pay per view since what forty one. Is that right? I've not seen the final numbers on yeah, that. Yeah, so it was it was uh, the most underwatched pay per view in over wow. over 150. Well, you know, so, so not many people saw saw his display, and he is like you said, he's on a title quiet run mm-hmm. at one of the greatest records of all time inside the UFC. I mean, that's crazy. I just don't know if you know. We keep trying to talk people into checking out the flyweights, and and I just don't know if it's ever going to be. You know, it, I, I don't know that that jazz is ever going to become uh, top forty music in the twenty first century right. either. We just tell you how good it is, and hopefully you check it out. It's tough. I mean, and and Demetrius, he he constantly puts big numbers on the board throughout the fights. He never he never yeah. stops attacking. I mean, for, I don't know what the connect is i'd like to talk to somebody yeah. that knows that into the business better and be like hey why do people just not care i'll tell you let me let me say this because maybe i can speak to this as more of a layman i don't think that if i didn't have some level of of mma training that i would be able to appreciate it as much because i think if i was just the casual you know weekend beer drinking let's let's that, order pizza and have the guys Demetrius over johnson but from a technical from a technical standpoint. Standpoint. yeah but i mean even from a non-technical point of view i mean he's making people miss and he hits them like a ninja it's something mm. out of a video game i know it's I know. pretty impressive it isn't like he's doing elaborate you know like okay if you sit there and go hey when you're on the ground you're doing this i think ground mm-hmm. work really takes a, a lot of heat because unless you have a background in that art yeah you know in some form you don't really understand what's going on but yeah. i mean here i'm like well what's the difference between this and lightweight boxing i mean Maybe it's, maybe it's his look because I mean Paige Van Zandt's getting a lot of attention. You're saying Demetrius Johnson isn't as hot as Paige Van Zandt? I'm is saying that, that limb you're going Zandt, out you can't on use here, it Ricky. as a size discrepancy because Paige Van Zandt is getting a lot of attention. Yeah, she's uh, 115 pounds and uh, Demetrius uh, 125. Definitely for, one, for yeah. apples and oranges. There. Yeah. <laughs> well, Without, we'll, we can even come with a new. <laughs> hey, both fighters, right? I'm just well, saying, there's some not the same amount of attention. There's a lot of other women in the division that are higher higher that are higher ranked but they don't get as much attention we'll, as paid fans uh, and either we'll get there in a second but but i will just say this i think what the usc does a great job of is variety on a card so if that flyweight title is your main event right before it you're seeing a couple of big giant heavyweights kicking off the card you're seeing a couple of 115 pound women you've got uh and we'll talk about this in a second you know big ko's coming from guys like anthony rumble johnson so to me there's enough variety within that three-hour pay-per-view that that 
even if one fighting style is not your cup of tea, at some yeah. point over that three hours, you're going to be uh, entertained. Well, a, I don't a know. I think now times. cards are so stacked with so many different talented fighters on there. Um, having you know the main event, just I don't know. I think now I'm starting to realize that no matter what you put on the undercard. The main event, I mean, who you put on the marquee is what's going to garner the most attention. and That's what's going to indicate the yeah. amount of pay-per-view buys. Do you, do you think, Certainly I'm just throwing this thing. out there, but do you think there is a is a correlation between the fact that the first time, well, I mean, really amongst the first times, now Reeboks come in, right? The first time Gorman Wrestling has not been in the cage is also the lowest pay-per-views. <laughs> that's a stretch. It's I'm, just, it's, well, I'm just saying there's a correlation. I'm just saying there's a correlation because we weren't on pay-per-view last it. time, right? Yeah. Now we're on pay-per-view. They didn't see the G. They didn't yeah. buy the pay-per-view. Yeah, it's 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 a. Look, a I case. don't want to go into it too much because Richard will no. Richard will try to peel it apart. But I, I there's yeah. facts here. No, it's true. I there's mean, facts there, there is definitely numbers that support that statement. So um, now, yeah, yeah, for well, like the next twenty days, there's numbers to support that. Well, <laughs> but there are numbers to support the statement until people can get through this time period, this grace <laughs> period of pain and anguish of not right. seeing the Gorman wrestling. Well, you know, one thing too, though, that I definitely want to put to rest on a statement that I'll see sometimes people sit there and they'll. they'll They'll get on somebody like a Conor McGregor or somebody else who does a lot of talking, mm -hmm. and they get there and go, "I don't like guys that talk. I just want to see it." You know, a guy just fights in the octagon. Well, here you have the prototypical. This is the banner boy of of a guy who doesn't really talk trash or he's not brandish. He's a very quiet, soft spoken guy. And you don't follow him. Who kicks <laughs> people down? He just he trashes guys in the octagon. He's untouchable right now. You know the dominant champion setting records, and when he goes to fight, it's the lowest pay per view buys. So unless they're going, you know, there might be a few people out there that honestly believe that and you're going to support Demetrius. But if for the most part, that's not true. Mm -hmm. For the most part, people want to have a character. They want to get a behind somebody that's a personality, whether they hate them or love them, but they have to be polarized with Demetrius. Johnson he doesn't polarize people and I don't think really I mean uh, you can't find a large group of people to say anything bad about the guy and you can't really find a large group of people to say anything good about the guy hence the low pay-per-view buys and that's all his outside the octagon work it has nothing to do I mean his performances he's record setting I mean he he, he has one of the records for the the longest what, what's the longest fight of all time Right. With, with the submission. Oh, with the yeah. submission ended with four seconds when left. He, the, no, one, one second one when second. he submitted second. Horiguchi. Yeah. 25, 24.59. And what was so amazing into about that? Fight. That'll and, never and be broken. No, it can't bar. be. Not, it cannot be mathematically broken. With an armbar. Yeah. Right. And and what was so great about that fight, too, and what, what I think Demetrius deserves so much credit for, is he was winning every minute of every one of those rounds up until that point. No one ever needed a finish less to win a fight than yeah, Demetrius Johnson did, and he still went for the finish, and he still took it. And that was just in his last fight. So, you know, I, I think that to the to the, the, the casual fan, and that's see, that's where those numbers uh, factor in, because it's like the hardcores, you can expect a certain number of pay-per-view buys the difference between let's say you know 250,000 and upwards of a million that's going to be your casual fan that's going to be your guy or your your lady who doesn't buy every pay-per-view but damned if they don't know this name ronda rousey and you know they got to see what all that's about it's like you know the old days of the people that would buy the tyson pay-per-views and that's fine i think like i said i think the ufc actually is in a better position than than for example boxing has ever been with that sort of thing because 
All of the focus is not just on that main event. Frank's right. That's what's going to get the most uh, uh, ink. You know, that's what's going to get the most coverage. But the fact that they put on such a uh, 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 a variety of, uh, of of entertainment on any well, one given pay per view. Here's card. what I, lowest, I can make the argument: since yeah. Andre Lasky's headline cards, I've headline cards where my name's on the board. Right. Anthony Johnson's headline cards. Mm-hmm. So you have three guys that have headline cards all by themselves that have sold more pay-per-views yeah. than any one of the times that I've ever headlined. Yeah. And here because the Demetrius Johnson John Donson fight, that's what, you know, that was that well, it's, was, a, it's the lowest since 2004. Well, wow. in 11 years, um the last fight that uh was the same. Let's see. It's uh pay-per-view or it's UFC 49. I don't want to be just this guy, but had they not tried to scramble and, and get Andre and I to fight as a co-main event? It would have been better if it was eight weeks because they could have built it out. Right, but, more. but with the five-week notice of having the fight, I think it still improved the numbers. Imagine without Oh, that. yeah. No, it definitely, it definitely improved yeah. the numbers. No, I think it definitely it, it, I mean, it definitely but, improved the numbers, but it could have been it could have been phenomenal. I mean, it, it could have been huge. It was. I mean, if you look at the, the main card, it was the, the only other fight... I think that had a storyline to it, except for, you know, you could maybe look at Anthony Johnson, who was coming off that loss to Daniel Cormier, and, and it, he needed to make a statement and a win against Jimmy Manawa, and he did, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But it was just. I mean, I think that that fight would have headlined. Yeah. I think we would have had made preview bias because I think that we would have had more publicity on who those two guys were, and there was no doubt in anybody's mind that that fight was ending in a knockout. Well, let's talk about that fight and also the fight on the prelims that I think actually uh, stole the show to a large degree. We'll do that next as we continue talking mixed martial arts with you. Keep it here. We're talking mixed martial arts. Myself, Richard Hunter, UFC heavyweight Frank Mir, and head coach Ricky Lundell are all here. UFC 191 uh, was this past weekend. Frank was on the card. Ricky was coaching. I was uh, on media row. All of us performing very important jobs in our uh, own right. But uh, we've, we've uh, run down your uh, your main event uh, as Demetrius Johnson defeats uh, uh, John Dodson in the flyweight title fight, the main event. Uh, Frank loses a controversial decision to Andre Arlovsky in the co-main. Um, but uh, we're also talking about, uh, we, we alluded to there in the last segment, the feature bout, which was uh, the return of Anthony Rumble Johnson, the Black Zillion's own, uh, coming off a uh, defeat against Daniel Cormier, where he challenged for the vacant light heavyweight title. And uh, he returned against Jimmy Manawa, and he knocks Jimmy Manawa out, an impressive KO win. Uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson is now tied for, and I made a note of this uh, as it happened, I believe it's fourth all time in UFC knockouts. He's got nine now. So uh, fourth all time, really impressive knockout. And, uh, you know, let me get your, uh, your thoughts there, guys. I don't know how much of that uh, fight you were able to catch in the back, uh, if any, because I know, Frank, you, you and Ricky, you, you guys were getting ready to go out for your fight. He was but, helping um, pump us up. I mean, he, he, when he was hitting yeah. his guy, he hits hard. I mean, yeah, every time we looked, takedowns. we could yeah. see it was explosive and it was powerful and it was, it was rough. Plus, we're good friends with uh, Neil Melanson. Right. So uh, he's the head coach, or I mean, he's not the head coach, but he's the head grappling coach. Right out at the Black Zillions now. Um, and I've worked with him several times with other fighters, uh, as well as he came in even the week of the fight and, and worked yeah. with Frank a little bit. So 
So we, we had interest in that fight. We wanted to see Anthony win. He came down to Bishop Gorman and hung out with us for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, Anthony Johnson, that guy, if Neil Melanson keeps spending the time on his groundwork, he could go take that title from Daniel Cormier. Let me play a little audio here of myself talking to Anthony Johnson after the fight about that very thing, the uh, addition of grappling coach Neil Melanson to the Black Zillions and how that factored into his game plan. Question for Anthony Johnson. Uh, Anthony uh, you gave a lot of credit to Neil Melanson in your post-fight comments, the addition of the grappling coach to the Black Zillions. So often when a coach is added to an existing camp, uh, he's credited for adding something that wasn't there previously. But you you had a wrestling background. You've got a grappling background. Is this a case of maybe reawakening something and sharpening something that you already had, but but maybe to a new level? Yeah, um, Neil definitely uh, opened up my mind. He brought back you know, uh, some things that I was doing in the past that I kind of got away from. And um, once again, man, if it wasn't for him, I'd probably be the same guy that fought last time. And each and every fight, I, I try to get better and better. So obviously there you see, guys, uh, Anthony Johnson giving a lot of credit to Neil Melanson about uh, what, what Anthony was saying, kind of kind of resurrecting a wrestling, a grappling element of his game. You know, Anthony's a guy who brings a wrestling background who became known as this knockout puncher, but it was actually a skill set that was, you know, maybe a little bit dormant because he was getting known as this, uh, this, this power puncher. And all of a sudden, and then of course, ultimately, that's how he wins the fight against Jimmy Manawa, but that was set up with some really solid grappling. No, he he was he was they are lucky that they picked up a Neil Melanson. I'm telling you that from the bottom of my heart. The Black Zillions are a striking based system. They're a striking based school and they're very good at that. Now they just picked up one of the best grappling individuals in the world, period, let alone the top pinnacle in in uh, the grappling arts. I mean, this guy is phenomenal. So mm-hmm. the fact that he just came into their camp, if anybody can take take Anthony Johnson back to a title, I think Neil Melanson can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and look- I agree 100. percent I mean, I we were just moving around and, and going over techniques, and and I told that to James. I was sitting there going, "Man, the guy Neil is phenomenal." Mm-hmm. If we had to actually do a grappling match, um, I would have He'd to be run tough, and man. flee <laughs> and try to like really just stall out and play the point game because I don't mm-hmm. think I could attack this guy without getting submitted. Mm-hmm. He he is so good, and I, I I'm glad that Anthony Johnson's stepping up and saying things about Neil that need to be said because a lot of the time, you know, Frank's Frank's uh, you know one of the small groups of fighters who actually stand up and stop talking about themselves for a second and talk about the people around them and the and the people that make it all happen for him. I I'm impressed that Anthony Johnson's doing the same thing because there's a lot of them out there. There's a lot of fighters out there who it's all about them all the time and and they don't even show appreciation for the guys around them. And I, I'm telling you, if anybody needs to be appreciated, it is Neil Melanson and and Black Zillions. They got very lucky to get him at the right time. So something interesting happened with Anthony Johnson after the fight. Uh, he knocks out Jimmy Manoa. He's making his exit out of the cage. He's walking by Media Row. If you ever watch uh, the the fights live, you see like the three three tables all the guys with the laptops that's that's where I sit and he walks by the tables and he says uh where loudly enough to where we, we can all hear him he says uh something to the effect of hey media uh write about this write something positive and uh and goes to the back so obviously we ask him about it in the press conference now the backstory there is Anthony Johnson had a rough uh week leading up to the fight he was uh, working out at uh, the Black Zillions gym there in uh, in Florida 
and he was lifting weights and there was a woman that was uh stretching out on a yoga mat uh real close to him and she said something about him lifting the weights or dropping the weights or being too close to uh to he she felt like he was uh he he was lifting heavy weights too close to her yoga mat and they got involved in a back and forth and uh it it resulted in anthony it was certainly an exchange of heated words but it resulted in anthony johnson somehow picking up the yoga mat and throwing it across the gym and then he went home and he got on his facebook and he posted something about um he he had some uh, some unflattering things to say about her and uh, it was only up for i don't even know if it was even up for an hour but uh it was long enough that the ufc got upset about it they didn't pull him off the card they didn't suspend him but he is going to have to go to some some anger management counseling now and he had to issue a formal apology and i know that's what he was talking about and he felt like he kind of got an unfair shake in the media but you know frank nobody in the ufc has uh has been uh you know in the spotlight longer than you uh at the the top of the game and you know you you've been you, you yourself have not had any of these kind of things happen in your career but that being said you I, i'm sure you can tell us a story or two about you know as when you've learned trial by fire that you know now when you go out in public everybody is watching you everybody's oh, got a camera on their cell phone you know things could easily be taken the wrong way and you do yeah. kind of always have to think about that and it is a double standard that's just the reality of the uh, it's just that's what it is mm -hmm. um, the fact of uh you know him being a professional fighter uh the color of his skin his actions are not going to be looked at as equal um he's going to be held under higher scrutiny and uh you know that just <laughs> there's a lot of rewards behind being uh in the UFC and, and being in the limelight and any uh, in world of entertainment, obviously, you know, the way we can pay our bills. I mean, yeah. there are advantages and there's disadvantages. If, for example, just here's here's a scenario I try to explain to people and they sit there and go, you really think you're held under a higher standard? I said, oh, absolutely. If I go to Starbucks and I get into an argument with a woman mm -hmm. and she throws a cup of coffee at me. Which happened last week when we were there. Right. Go ahead. Fortunately, nobody filmed it. It's probably going to be a joke. People are going to laugh about it. Yeah. If I walk away, they're going to sit there and go, ah, you know, there'll be a few people who sit there and go, oh, that's not really fair. But for the most part, it's going to be take as humors. Yeah. Same thing as when the situation with Anthony Johnson. Had the woman grabbed one of his weights, or if he had been on the yoga mat and grabbed it, or you know, grabbed his talent, she threw it across the room, mm -hmm. and he sat there with kind of a look of like, well, you know, obviously I can't touch you or do anything back, mm -hmm. and walked off. Um, she wouldn't. No one would be clamoring to demonize her. Mm -hmm. It would be kind of like, oh, that's kind of funny. That was a professional fighter that could kick your butt, and you just you kind of punked him there, huh? Huh? Yeah. That's funny. And that's just the way this. That's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not really. I'm not complaining about it. I just. It's one of those things that, as I tell the young athletes as they're coming up, like, hey. This is the way it is. Um, another kid, you know, at school, you, you know, if he, you just you're not held under the same standards. Uh, well, let me let me say this, and and you know, we, double standard is the right term because while there is a disadvantage to being under that microscope, I'll tell you where there's an advantage that I think a lot of uh, celebrities and athletes uh, uh, overlook, and it's this: if if we're in that Starbucks scenario, Frank, and if for whatever reason you've got to go, you don't have time to take a picture with everybody. It, sure enough, it's going to be the one person that doesn't get one that's going to be like. Frank Mirror blew me off, you know. Oh, yeah, but but that being said, when you take the sixty seconds. 
to take the picture, shake the hand. Thanks for being a fan. Really appreciate it. That guy leaves telling everybody he knows. Greer is the nicest no, guy don't I agree ever with met. And okay. I actually know this from the psychology. One time I sat down in a course just about you know marketing and management back in the day when I, I was 19. I was working the front desk at Texas Station. Uh-huh. And they brought in a person to talk to us about how you know dealing with you know customer service and people. And they said that they've proven that if a person has a good experience, they go on average and tell two or three people. Oh no! Where a person has a bad experience, yeah. they go tell. 12 to 20 people about their bad experience so that's when you sit there and go I, I i'll go and shake a hand and take time and i'll do it a hundred times and the one time i don't because it's like hey man my wife's out in the car mm-hmm. kids are late for school i gotta go and then the response from that starbucks situation be like the hundred people they'll like oh yeah frank's a cool guy but they're not going to go and post a lot of maybe one or two post one or two things well, and the one guy i diss is going to post 20 things about how yeah. arrogant and and, and and conceited and self-centered and i don't care about anybody it's like dude i sat here for an hour but see, i'm sorry i left 30 seconds early see that's true in a normal walk of life but what i'm saying is there is a celebrity exemption and they want to like you so what i'm saying is if oh, you well, that makes if, me feel better because a lot of times I'm no just, no well, <laughs> what i'm saying is what i'm saying is if i only meet you for 60 seconds i don't really know you i mean i don't really have a good the assessment key, of who you right, are as what a he's person. telling you is the key is don't let anybody know you for longer than 60 seconds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The first 60 and seconds. And you can testify to that, yeah, can't you? Yeah. The first 60 seconds, you make a great first impression, Frank. But no, it's, it's saying. And it's oh all downhill God, time, from there. Time. Yeah. Dude, they're tracking you right now. Time. Yeah. Get off the phone. No, it's just saying that they don't want to not like you. They want to like you. They want to walk away from that experience telling everybody how cool you were. And so it, with the celebrity, I think they actually get an advantage just in the sense that if, if they have that 60 seconds that person takes it and runs with it like they spent a you know quality oh, okay. with their you know, that's friend. a positive spin you've put yeah. me in a better mood now because I, <laughs> I tend to find well you know now, if i have five guys that are talking to me at starbucks i'm saying okay i gotta talk to each one of them instead of if one guy brought up a really good point and i'm like hey and really spend time talking to him because you really brought something up that interested me and i'm, I'm feeding back to it i'm talking to you mm-hmm. my brain starts going hey frank man you're being selfish you're you're spending too much time with this guy and, and his four buddies uh, you know, and here I am outside Starbucks, just wishing one person would talk to me. We'll uh, continue next. More mixed martial arts talk. Keep it here. Before we get back into collective conversation with myself, Richard Hunter, and Ricky Lundell and Frank Mir talking mixed martial arts with you, I want to play you a little audio from the post-fight press conference the other night at UFC 191. Myself talking to Dana White about specifically the fact that John Dodson had now lost two title shots to Demetrius Johnson and how hard it was to break through that glass ceiling if you're a challenger who's lost two title shots to the same champion. And uh, Dana ended up talking more about why he pulled Misha Tate from uh, her scheduled, or at least her her believed to be uh, scheduled, third title shot against Ronda Rousey in favor of the undefeated Holly Holm. Dana, uh, you know, periodically when we see a dominant champion and he fights and defeats an opponent twice, or she in the case of Ronda Rousey, there's a glass ceiling that we talk about. You know, uh, there's two in the division now with Joe Benavides uh, and, and now John Dotson has had two shots at the title. From a promoter's standpoint, is that proverbial glass ceiling as much of a thing as we make it out to be? I know recently you put Misha aside for the Holly Holm fight against Ronda. Is that something that you prioritize in your mind, the idea of that you've had two shots, it's hard to promote a third? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a, it's tough to, to have somebody go in for a third fight. It, it's, it's tough. 
unless you, you really work your way back up to it. And, and you know, the, the right fight to make was Holly Holm. That was the right fight to make. Um, you know, Misha's tough, Misha's durable, but we've seen the Misha fight twice. We've, se we've seen how that, how that fight ends. Part, part of being a fight fan, I think, is, you know, that 10 days leading up to the fight when you start talking about the attributes of both fighters and you start breaking down the fight. Holly Holm, originally, if you, if you remember back when we didn't have Holly Holm, People were screaming for us to sign Holly home to fight Ronda Rousey. Um, and now she's here, and she, she's the most decorated, you know, striker in, in, in the sport. And she's, she's accomplished all these things, and she's undefeated in, in mixed martial arts. It's the fight to make. We're talking mixed martial arts with you, Richard Hunter, and myself. Frank Mir, UFC heavyweight and coach to the UFC stars, including Frank Mir, is Ricky Lundell. Uh, so this is uh, something interesting, guys. Uh, you know, Ronda Rousey, of course, biggest star in the UFC right now, um, has a uh, new autobiography out called My Fight, Your Fight, or Your Fight, My Fight, or Our Fight Together. I think it's My Fight, Your Fight. Uh, and that that uh, book has done well. She's a, a media darling. She's on Good Morning America and, and all the big shows these days. Well, uh, she's done some movies as well. She was in the latest Entourage movie. She was in the latest Expendables movie. Now she's set to star in a movie, and it's a remake of a movie you've heard of before. Do you remember Patrick Swayze and Roadhouse? Oh, I remember. Absolutely. I really oh, thought wow. that was possible to rip someone's throat out, let me tell you. <laughs> Dalton, the best of the, co the best cooler in the business. And uh, a guy that, that was so hardcore he could stitch up his own uh, 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 lacerations. Remember that? When he'd sit there with the needle and the thread. and uh, Yeah, so Ronda Rousey is set to star in a remake of Roadhouse. I, I believe It's going to be that, somewhere between Coyote Ugly and Roadhouse. Yeah. yeah. That's actually a really true statement. <laughs> wow. It'll I'm, be somewhere inside of that mix. I can see this going down. I'm yeah. excited for this. Now, you know, Roadhouse is one of those movies that, uh, you know, as certainly a kid of the 80s, I remember it as, you know, that guy was a badass. And then I go back and watch it now. Still every bit as enjoyable, if not more so. But now for how horrifically bad it is, you know, it's a funny, uh, yeah. it's funny a lot of times. So I, my question is, I was actually talking uh, to a comedian friend of mine about this the other night that, that, that hopefully it's, you can't intentionally make something bad, I guess, but it hopefully it's still campy enough that it's got some some humor to it, you know, that they don't try to be too serious with it. You guys have seen the movie, oh, I absolutely. assume, Roadhouse, yeah. That was yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah. That was that movie, uh, my, you know, parents had a VHS. I uh -huh. would sneak it when everybody, you know, that was if the parents, if I got home from school before anybody else got home, that scene with the one bouncer, and uh, that was like my first adult movie. <laughs> Which scene? When the one uh, bouncer ends up getting fired by uh, Dalton. Oh, yeah. But he's yeah, inside like the lock, inside like the back room, yes. the storage room with the, one of the young ladies. Right. Yeah. That, that, at the time, that was some pretty graphic stuff yeah. to, to my young mind. <laughs> Frank's parents always wondered why every time they put in that movie, it was queued up right to that scene. <laughs> <laughs> like why is it always under his bed I yeah <laughs> yeah he really likes martial arts <laughs> yeah what do you think ricky you think she can uh think she can uh do an honest job of making that remake you know it, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough i was three when this movie came out so it's oh. really inbreded into my childhood right now <laughs> and uh, you know what but i think i mean i, I think it has the best opportunity being that it's a, I, a, a being Ronda Rousey. Right now, you need a female to play that kind of role. I yes, 100% agree. Inside mm -hmm. of movies now, I, I don't know if I've seen a movie where 
where the guy is tough anymore. You know, there's no there's no movie like that. A well, guy can't save the girl. What ends up happening is the girl, the guy will work his way through the movie. He'll be doing stuff. And then in the end, he'll make sure that he's saved somehow by the tough, amazing yeah. girl at the end. Now, there is no more. There, There is no girl out there that's more athletically powerful and and more damaging with her body than ronda rousey she's she is the ultimate athlete right now when it comes to females and i'll tell you her playing in roadhouse she's a she's a real life bad a you know she's mm -hmm. not gonna be uh she's she's tougher than patrick swayze oh. i'll tell you that much right now in real life you stick the two of them together I mean that's a real life uh, that's a real life where Ronda Rousey will just put Patrick Swayze down easily, and I'm sure he'd like it a lot too. I mean, he might be the better dancer though. I, I would have to say yes. Well, yeah. you know, but girls can do things when they dance that they don't have to know very many. Now dance that you said moves. that, I, I can't stop thinking about the Chris Farley. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, Swayze, the Chippendale Saturday Night Live. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. I just, I just feel like guys actually have to know how to dance, yeah. and girls just have to like move their hips a yeah, little bit and shake their hands. And, and all of a sudden, you're like, she's an incredible dancer. It is an unfair incredible advantage. dancer. Double standards all day long, uh, man. <laughs> well, while Ronda Rousey has a Roadhouse remember uh, November in her future. Uh, things got a little tougher for Misha Tate. This, I was just uh, going to say that. Yeah, saw this. Now, Misha Tate defeated Jessica I in her last fight. That's got her on a four-fight win streak. And she came out of that fight thinking that she was the next challenger for Ronda Rousey. Of course, famously, she has been defeated twice in the past uh, by Ronda. But uh, it was her most. Uh, it was Ronda's most compelling uh, matchup. It was Keelan Del Corninger in that uh, second fight. It uh, actually went to the third. But uh, the UFC management reversed course uh, after everybody was led to believe that she would get that third title shot against Ronda Rousey. The undefeated Holly Holm instead was put in her place. So then people think, okay, well maybe she's you know maybe she gets the winner of that. Uh, Dana White said the last couple of days he uh, told Fox Sports that Misha is quote going to have to knock a couple of more people off end quote, before she gets to Ronda Rousey. So now it's a couple of more people. Well, I mean, she's hit a ceiling. I mean, and, and again, it's all about selling tickets. Yeah. And I feel bad for Misha, and I think that if she is one of the fiercest competitors for Ronda. She's proven it lasting the longest in their fights, you know, with her. She's put her the only one to even get her out of the first round, like you said. So, I mean, we have empirical proof to sit there and go, yes, this has so far been her hardest fight. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, she's faced her twice. Yeah. So now, bringing up a third fight, you've kind of hit a ceiling. That's what happens in situations where where you fight and the champion, I mean, we've seen it before. Uh, Rich Franklin with Anderson Silva. Yep. Okay. Rich Franklin, I think, was the number two guy in the world really at that time. It just mm -hmm. happened that he was in the weight class with the number one guy in the world. Mm -hmm. And after two, you know, losses to him, he, he actually moved up a weight class. He started going up to 205, and then I think he did a catch weight fight mm -hmm. at one moment at 195 because you're like, I can't beat the champ, and he's the number one guy. He was drifting. Yeah. So it kind of makes sure you don't have a home. I think Misha really is kind of stuck in that limbo where it's like, well, the best fighter in the world, really, in the women's division, it happens to be your champion. If and you've already he is a superstar. Yeah. I mean, she is so far past. I mean, when it comes to yeah. she's she's transcended UFC. Oh, she's no, transcended she's the, the sport. She's she's bigger than than uh, anyone. I mean, she just beat Mayweather for an award. That's how big. Yeah, no, she's on a different level is. than the rest of us. I don't know. I think really right now, if I was Misha, I, I, this is a question I asked for you. Ricky, is there, if they wanted to institute, because right now we have the two female weight classes, you have the 115 and 135. 
there's a lot of girls that are kind of stuck in between that are 25. 25. Yeah, I mean, a 20 pounds is a lot of, you know. You, well, I mean, we have a girl that's that's in that kind of area with uh, Anna Hulaton, who's in that spot where, you know, do I do I go up in weight? But 135 is pretty big, 115 mm-hmm. small. She was boxing world champ at 122. And when we look at across the sports, I mean, 125 is a normal division for women. Yes. Inside of wrestling, inside of jujitsu, and inside of boxing. If they were to start doing that and say I have twenty five pound weight class, she could go after it and take it over like Demetrius Johnson did. I mean, that's that would they, be a great. Well, spot you, you've for her. worked with Misha. You've seen her cut weight. Is it something that's feasible, or is it something like? Yeah, I think a, she lifts hard to keep her weight up so that she's competitive at one thirty five. So I, she could make twenty five. I I for sure think so. That would probably be the best thing that ever happened to her because right now we're seeing it right now with the the power. You know, Dana and them and they're saying, hey. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're probably, you know, they get a lot of feedback. They really put their, you know, the feelers in the water and, and sit there. And if Misha and Rhonda was a bigger fight than Holly, that's the fight they would make because it's justifiable. She's on a four fight win streak. But the fact being that obviously that they feel that looking at what the fans want, Holly Holmes is a bigger fight for uh, Ronda Rousey, and that's the situation now that Misha's in. It's like, so basically she's going to have to annihilate, and he said that. You're going to have to knock everybody else off so that you're the only one left, and then when we have no other choice, you can fight her. That's a pretty, you know, tall order. It's a good point, uh, you know, and, and obviously women fighting in the UFC is working. I mean, you know, there's another uh, star on the horizon in Paige Van Zandt who looked dominating uh, in her victory over Alex Chambers this past Saturday night. So a 125 division maybe is not as out of the question as it, it once was. And, and before Misha Tate's career is done, that actually might be the place for her to reign. I thought Misha was really smart stepping up and saying she'd go after Cyborg. I mean, if she oh, moved yeah. up and went after oh, yeah. her for real she'd get the notoriety she needed to come back down if she would step up yeah. and say i'm gonna go i'll just go to 145 right now and take that title yeah and she went after it and if she could pull a win over cyborg then say look i already own the 145 pound belt you know ronda you're running from me that would give her an argument to start Great to play point. that direction but True. right Great. now that's she another doesn't have an argument yeah. Well, I mean, that's actually much more proactive than my solution, sitting and waiting around. Yeah. Hopefully, that a twenty a weight class that you know that uh, I think she needs up. to get on on social media. I mm-hmm. think she needs to get on Twitter. I think mm-hmm. she needs to set up the fight mm-hmm. and go after it because otherwise, you're just stuck in limbo. Right. I mean, you're just sitting and waiting. I think she needs to quit taking her Adderall. That's going to get her like another six, eight pounds right there, right, Frank? So that'll that'll <laughs> get her well up. on her way. She'll yeah. be up where she needs to be. Yeah. She'll blow it up a little bit. And she'll be ready to go. <laughs> Maybe uh, not the best solution for. Mobile. <laughs> <laughs> All right, more next. Keep it here. We're talking mixed martial arts with you. Don't go anywhere. It's Richard Hunter backstage in the uh, green room at Brad Garrett's Comedy Club here at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, Nevada, with uh, a good friend of mine, fellow comedian, a guy I've known about uh, 10 years, Jerry Rocho, who's performing here this weekend, shows uh, Saturday and Sunday. Jerry, what's up, man? Good yeah. to see you. What's up, buddy? 8 p.m. shows. 8 p.m. And uh, who who else is on the bill? We'll get all that out of the way. Uh, Percy get, Cruz, who's right. very funny, and Brian Scalaro, who's very funny. It's a really nice show, man. Yeah, it's yeah. a good one, and and a great club too. If you've oh. never been to Brad Garrett's uh, comedy club here at the MGM Grand, it really is. And and I mean, take it from a couple of comedians who have probably played some rooms that are not <laughs> so nice. This is one of those that you got to just look forward to oh, after you've been here one time when you see it on your itinerary. Yeah, this is really nice because I mean, I've you been like you know coming up in texas like we i've literally done shows that were like inspired by the 
uh, was a Patrick Swayze movie where he was the bouncer and Roadhouse. the chicken wire. Yeah, yeah, like it was like that, like yeah. literally that bad. Yeah, like I've done shows that are that brutal, and you're like, man, okay, I don't know if we're getting out of here alive. And yeah, like, I, I, yeah. So this is very nice to come here. It's it's very it's like oh, okay, this is why I didn't go to college. Okay, yeah, this this makes me feel a little better. Yeah, uh, it's interesting you you bring up Roadhouse because of course we are uh, uh, an MMA formatted show. Yes. We, we frequently talk entertainment and, and everything, and obviously I do comedy. So there's a uh, and and Frank Mir. Uh, envisions himself an aspiring stand-up nice, comedian. So, nice. uh, well, uh, he's so, kind of lucky because who's ever going to heckle him? Like yeah. that, that is a really nice built-in. It's almost cheating. It's a, you know, it's almost yeah. like if there if there is a comedy version of PEDs, it's that. <laughs> it's just a dude being so like, yeah, I'm a heavyweight MMA fighter. So yeah, go ahead, please heckle me. Let's see well, how that works out for you. Yeah, him. that's interesting because you know Frank is the only person uh, in the history of the UFC who has broken two different people's limbs you know like he snapped them in half <laughs> right he was arm barring guys and their and and their their arms snapped right right here uh right wow. halfway up the form oh. and so yeah you're right it's if you've seen that if you've seen yeah, your, you're not gonna say a thing to no, him He's if you've be seen like, your headliner yeah <laughs> we always talk about yo you've seen your headliner on bet imagine you know you've seen your headliner breaking bones breaking on pay-per-view bones. put your hands together and i mean it really put yeah. your hands together and you better Mayer. buy whatever stupid T-shirt he's selling right. after the show <laughs> yeah, he's, too. He's got some CDs. Yeah, you better buy them. Yeah, yeah they're like, ten bucks, but go ahead and give him a twenty. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, yeah it's funny uh, because uh, uh, you know Frank has told me. In fact, we have not. Uh, we haven't outed this on the show. I don't think. But oh, uh, he's okay? yeah, he is breaking right. news. He has told me privately that uh, he has aspirations of trying to do stand-up comedy. Nice. Okay. And I think it's a great idea. You know, yeah. I, I, I think it's something everybody should experience once. Even even if we're just going to an open mic or something oh, like you have that, to. you know, yeah, yeah, of course. And so uh, we actually have a little quid pro quo because uh, you know I get to train with him and I do radio and all that kind of stuff. But this is one of those things where, for as much as he teaches me about jujitsu, now I've now I'm the black belt, right? You know, right. Like, you right. Know, You're finally can yes. be an expert on something with him. That's great. Yes. Well, I mean, dude, Frank, you just got to go to the worst places imaginable. That's yeah. how you start. Luckily, Vegas has them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not here, but and we just have go them. do them and don't tell anybody you're going yeah right right? and then just because they'll they'll treat you different if they know a celebrity you know just do your thing just go up there i always tell comedians purposely find the worst room in town go up and then go up first do the worst spot Mm because nobody wants to go Mm -hmm. because if you do enough awful things nothing Mm -hmm. is gonna you're not gonna be afraid of anything if you've because i told you uh the other night we were hanging out we were catching up uh i did a gig one time in missouri where uh they literally turned off the world series in like the third inning and it was like game two or three whatever and yeah. it's like all right time for comedy and like they're just <laughs> they're already throwing things and booing and it's like but after that like what am i going to be afraid of like they, they, yeah. that's the, it's never going to be that bad you know well, speaking, again speaking of throwing things and and chicken wire you mentioned at the outset there the the patrick swayze roadhouse reference yes. you don't you have no idea how timely this is because to bring it back to our mma format it was just announced today that there is a remake uh, a remake of right. roadhouse it's going to be coming out starring Ronda Rousey. I heard about that. How that great is, is that? That is that's great, but I'm not going to be excited unless it's they promise to make it as horrible. Yeah, as it's got you know it has to be just as stupid. It's got to be just as yeah. but you know but but the, I don't know. But see, then again, will that work? Because what made Roadhouse so great is anyone who saw it. 
that was like from the age of eight to 14 thought it was a masterpiece, yes. right? Yes. And then anyone older was like, this is the dumbest movie I've ever yeah. seen in my life. But you can't purposely recreate that, right? Like that's why I think that Point Break movie, the remake is going to mm. be terrible mm-hmm. because you can't, you know, it's yeah. like you can, that you have to just, I don't know how to put it. It's like what Mel Brooks said. Uh, like it's a be- comedy is at its best when when people think they're being sincere. You know what I mean? Did mm-hmm. you ever hear this? Like the, the, it was the Blazing Saddles, you know, the theme song? Yeah. They got some dude who was like an actual Western. He sang for real Westerns. Oh, okay. And they got him, to, and he didn't know it was a joke. Yeah. So he was like, he rode the Blazing... The guy was almost weeping yeah. when he was singing it because he thought the lyrics were so powerful. And then everyone in the studio was dying laughing, and Mel Brooks had to shut them all because like, this guy cannot know yeah. because we're getting the best performance because he thinks it's real. That's... You know, he thinks it's actually you know a That's, great song that that makes a lot of sense and you know the, the the best way to watch roadhouse is uh adam carolla does a thing called basic cable commentary <laughs> right. where he takes a couple old movies like that and he did this with roadhouse it's actually the first one he did and he records an alternative audio track that you buy on <laughs> itunes so the deal is we you get the you get the roadhouse dvd right and on the audio track he's like okay Put your DVD in. Okay, you see the lion about to roar for MGM. Pause it. Okay, now hit play in three, two, one. So now you're synced up, right? Right. So it's like you're watching the movie with him. And it's fantastic because he picks apart every <laughs> little... Remember the scene where uh, where Patrick Swayze, he rolls into town. He's got the nice, whatever it was, Mercedes or BMW. Right. And he knows that his tires are going to get slashed. So he drives to the junkyard and he just starts throwing... He throws force old right. spares in the, in the back. So at that point, you just hear Adam go... Let me point out that the odds of finding one random tire in a junkyard <laughs> that fits your, fit your car, let alone the first four you see, are, are those odds are greater than winning the lottery. Oh, you know? man, that's true. That's perfect. Yeah. So, know, like, did they say, is it going to be campy? Are they going to make it silly? Are they going to try to make it? Don't just- know. Yeah, don't know, but man. but but I you know I, I think Rhonda could do a good job with that. She was I thought she was great in Entourage, yeah. And uh, yeah. she's you know some people do just have that uh, that real ability. Now uh, now you uh, have got a special coming out. Yes. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, it comes out October seventeenth. It's mm-hmm. going to be on the Fuse Network, mm-hmm. and uh, you're going to get this title right away. Yes. because it was inspired by a character of our youth. Yes, uh, I named it the Gentleman Jerry Rocha after yeah. the, the great wrestler. Yes, the gentleman uh, Chris Adams. Yes, gentleman you know? Chris Adams. So I just, as a kid, I just thought that was my favorite, yeah. you know, name, the gentleman. You know, so yeah, yeah that's what the special's called, and it comes out October seventeenth on yeah. Fuse, uh, Saturday night, ten p.m. Yeah. across the board. If you're in New York, if you're in the middle, if you're here. It's all the same. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. That and then uh, you know it, it it lives on and goes. Yeah. On to I think Netflix I think knock on wood. Like hopefully we'll right find now. another yeah. another place after a couple of months yeah. to find another home. But yeah, that's like, awesome. It'll be on Fuse. You, you've and, been doing some shows with. Uh, well, you've done some shows with Gabriel Iglesias Fluffy, as well. Yeah. He, yes. uh, it was amazing because Fluffy is like if to those who don't know like when you think of celebrities you just think of them as like these unapproachable. You know, just these myths, and especially it's like when you like, first met me, I remember. Like, you know how it was. I couldn't say yeah. anything. I, yeah. I was just looking at the ground, shuffling right. hands in my pockets, sure. like, <laughs> and uh, it was. And he's just such a nice dude, though. He bra- yeah. he immediately breaks down any barrier of like nervousness. He's just very, uh, very. Awesome. Just hands you a Hawaiian cool. shirt. But here you go, man. This is your, you're on tour now. This is your shirt. Now, what about that? Like, what if you? Let's just say 
that you, before you met him, you were already in your circle of friends right. predisposed to wearing a lot of jorts. Would you <laughs> feel comfortable now that he had taken you into his inner oh, circle? Oh, I'd have to change. I'd be like, yeah, be, yeah, yeah. Good, good luck explaining. <laughs> oh, no, I already had these. Yeah, he would just no, think already, I'm some yeah. creepy fan yeah. who's going to try to have sex with him and then murder him in, somewhere <laughs> on the bus. Like, I'd be like, yeah, nah, dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, he was, but he was really super cool, and uh, he put me on his Comedy Central, that stand-up revolution show, which is awesome. And then, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, he's got a really, and they're all really funny, like a really d- set group of guys that tours with him. But he was like, hey, man, if I ever have an opening, I'd love to have you come in. So every now and again, I would go do shows, in, which is like comedy nirvana, because you're in these like 10,000-seat arenas, and they just... It's like a rock. It's like a concert. It's yeah. amazing. And like, uh, and he, yeah, he's a, just a great dude. And so he just pulled me aside and goes, "Hey, man, do you have an hour?" And I'm like, "Yeah, of course." And he goes, "Well, I want to produce it." And it was just amazing. So yeah, he's actually producing the special. Oh, the and, special. Uh, okay. Yeah, awesome. it was. It was really. Uh, it was. It was very much a dream come true. So it was. Uh, Jerry Rocha is here with me. He's performing uh, shows uh, Saturday and Sunday at Brad Garrett's Comedy Club here inside the MGM Grand Garden Casino in Las Vegas. Uh, You know, it's. uh, uh, I I just thought of the fact that uh, on Saturday. Uh, the Mayweather fight is here. Yeah. Things get a little crazy. That's what they told me. I was here a, for a couple of Mayweather <laughs> fights ago, and I thought I was going to have to fight my way out of the Mayweather fight. So you're down here in the basement, but I can still not guarantee yeah. your safety. <laughs> I think I'm just going to stay here until Sunday morning. I'm just going to stay here in the, the green room. In the you green mean. room. Yes. Yeah, I'm just not like, even hey, go I'll to your room. room. Because I don't even. Yeah. Like, n- this is nothing on Birdo, but I just don't know how good of a fight this is even going to be. Right. You know, I mean, but, you know, maybe this is going to be like, uh, so I can call it first, hopefully, mm-hmm. knock on wood. I'm mm-hmm. sure someone else said this, mm-hmm. but could this be a Mike Tyson, Buster Douglas thing? Yeah. Like, you know, where everybody just assumes Mayweather's going to kill the guy, and then, hey, you never know, right? Like, yeah. So, but yeah, I, I just, uh, I wonder what, like, how crazy it'll be. Uh, I'm it, just happy I, this is not the Pacquiao fight because I can imagine what a circus that must have been. Yeah, in, yeah, in it this gets city. it gets really insane here, and it's actually more insane than the the UFC fights in terms of the decorum of the uh, of the attendee. Really? Yeah, it's uh, uh, it, it is, and I think it must have something to do with the fact that if you're UFC, you're like UFC lifestyle, right? But if you're if you're Floyd. Yeah, there's hardcore boxing fans, but it's also a lot of guys who are taking uh, a, a night off from, uh, you know, football or basketball or whatever right, and right. going to watch that. And those tend to be the guys who are a little more, what are you looking at? They start you the know, fights. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, the nice thing about, about MMA is that for all you know, it's the 135-pound guy over in the corner that's got the highest degree of belt. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> yeah, you don't want to mess with anybody in no, that crowd. No. Yeah, because, dude, one guy and you're toast. Like, you yeah. just mess with the wrong person, yeah. and you're, like, like your arm's broken, that's your right. knee, you got to get a new knee. Like, that's yeah, right. no, that's, that would be... Uh, well, Jerry, let's tell everybody how to follow you, how to find you, how okay. to track you down. And yeah, all man. Uh, we have a website. It's jerryrochacomedy.com, and it's R-O-C-H-A, um, Rocha Comedy on Twitter. Um, you know, uh, I think it's Jerry Rocha Comedy on Instagram and, you know, Facebook, all that stuff. Yeah, just come and, come and say hi, please. Jerry, thanks for being Dude, with us. Dude, great seeing you again, Richard. Thanks, you man. And uh, we'll have you on again soon. I'd love it. Thanks, buddy. The California kid Uriah Faber is joining me. He is uh, one of the coaches on this season's Ultimate Fighter, premiering on Fox Sports 1 this Wednesday, September the 9th, 10 p.m. Eastern. Uriah, good to talk to you again, man. Um, you know, this is going to be your second time through coaching on uh, Ultimate Fighter. First time was against your arch nemesis, Dominic Cruz, and 
and this time around is Conor McGregor. A lot of people find Conor to be to be polarizing, but given the fact that uh, the first time around you were coaching against a guy that you really genuinely did not like, did this time around actually have less animosity with Conor? Um, yeah, I think it had a little less animosity um, and more entertainment. I mean, uh, Conor McGregor is uh, an entertaining dude. He's a funny dude. He's an interesting dude. And Dominic Cruz is kind of a stick in the mud uh, dud, if you will. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a lot more fun, I feel like. Now, Connor's made some interesting comments about his coaching style, saying that he intentionally was going to stay away from team practices and really just kind of be in charge of appointing the coaches and then showing up for the, the actual fights. Uh, was that Did you find that to be true? And if so, as a result, did you end up having more of a hands-on approach with your American team? I mean, there's no doubt uh, that I was more hands-on and, uh, you know, really get my, get my uh, hands dirty as far as that goes. But if... I mean, Connor's approach was him being lazy. That's what I think. It wasn't because he was just going to assign coaches, etc. I think he was sleeping in and uh, not really giving these guys his, his all necessarily. Although I'm sure he gave some some encouraging words and some good advice because he's he's, a, he's an intelligent fighter. He's got a high fight IQ, in my opinion. But he uh, wasn't extremely hands on. But you know, we only had six weeks with these guys. It's it's. You know, these guys are fighting every three to four days, so, you know, you just do what you can to give them an edge, but it's really up to them to perform. And, you know, he was emphasizing that, which is right, but that doesn't mean you can't give them every little bit of, of uh, you know, advantage if you can. Now, uh, you these are lightweights uh, this this season, and you're, of course, coaching the American squad. He's coaching the European squad. Your team, Alpha Male, out of Sacramento, is known for showcasing and, and making superstars out of some lighter weight class fighters. Uh, anybody in the crop this season that you saw that you were maybe thinking in the back of your mind, I could see this guy at some point uh, training at Team Alpha Male? You know, there's a lot of guys with a ton of potential, especially – uh, some of the Americans, I feel like there was uh, some some really green guys that are that are kind of specialized straight strikers and some more grapplers um, that could you know end up being being an asset in the team. Uh, one guy in particular, Ryan Hall, is a is a world class jiu-jitsu player, so I learned a lot from him while I was there as well, and um, just kind of enjoyed the process. Now. I don't really recruit, recruit like that, but they're all welcome to come and, and hang out. And if someone uh, would like to be part of the team, you know, of course they're welcome. Uriah Faber is my guest. Uriah, now, you know, traditionally the two coaches fight at the end of the season. This is going to be a little different. You're both on the UFC 194 card uh, here in Las Vegas coming up December 12th. Connor is uh, fighting his rescheduled featherweight fight against, title fight against Jose Aldo. You're going to be taking on uh, Frankie Signs and dropping back down to uh, to Bantamweight on the undercard. So let me ask you there, was your intention uh, all along to go back down to Bantamweight, or uh, was this something that you did so that you could uh, be a part of that big card? No, I mean, I, I've been I've been fighting 135 pounds for the last, I think, five years now, and I just went up to do a super fight with Frankie Edgar. Okay. Um, that's why I went up. Now, because I was actually trying to gain weight, I put on some weight, and it hasn't really gone away. So it's going to be a difficult cut, especially with the new rules about um, 
you know, about the IVs and things like that. So yeah. I still, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm still fighting 135 pounds because that's where I'm most competitive. If you see me standing next to a guy like Conor McGregor, it's obvious that he's, he's a bit bigger than I am. But um, I'll compete at both weights. It just has to be, you know, an intelligent fight at 145 pounds, like a fight that really matters. I think the Frankie Edgar one mattered, and I think the, a fight against Conor would really matter. Those kind of fights I'd love for 45s, but I'm a, I'm a 35-pounder. So, you know, a lot of people would say that, you know, maybe this is uh, the first step toward you making another run at the Bantamweight title. But, of course, we know your your protege, T.J. Dillashaw, has that belt. Uh, you know, you, you guys have been open to this idea of facing each other in the, the past. But just to get an update, uh, that's that's still a possibility, right, if the stars aligned and, and you had that Bantamweight title shot in front of you? You know, I'm not sure. It's not really a fight that I want. I, at this point, you never know in this sport what's going to happen. I mean, uh, there was a time when Dominic Cruz and I were supposed to fight for a title, and he got injured, and he's had one fight in four years. So um, I don't think, you know, when you're when you're looking at it, uh, you know, wh- how how the stars are going to align, that you can really have any any knowledge of how it's going to look. And I mean, that's not a fight that I want with with TJ. I mean, I guess you never count anything out, but as far as me being aggressive about taking that shot, the answer is no. But uh, we'll see what happens, you know. And uh, last question for you, Uriah. I was cage side at UFC 191 this past weekend, uh, watching uh, Paige Van Zant uh, come out victorious, a Team Alpha male member. Now, Martin Campman was coaching her. There've been reports that Martin is planning his exit out of uh, Team Alpha male as head coach. I- is that still the plan, or is he sticking around? Well, we got a great relationship with Martin, and he's got some some uh, some obligations with his family that that are. You know, and have him step down, but he, he's going to keep a good relationship with us, and, and we're going to take our time finding a replacement. We have a lot of great coaches on staff now. Um, I, I step in and, and help mentor the guys, the guys, active fighters like Lance Palmer and TJ Dillashaw and Joseph Benavidez and, and Chad step in and, and fill in stuff as well. And then we have our, our, uh, our other coaches. We have, you know, our boxing, both boxing coach Joey and Fabio Prado and, and Dustin Akbari and, and, Master Tom. So we have a lot of coaches. So we're we're trying to figure out exactly what we want to do next. But Campman is not like gone at the blink of an eye. He's he's just stepping down as as the as the lead guy, and, and we're gonna you know work towards getting some more uh, some more coaches. Hopefully, multiple coaches because our team is huge and it's growing, and and we need a lot of a lot of hands on deck. The Ultimate Fighter, Team Faber versus Team McGregor, premieres this Wednesday, September 8th, 10 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 1. You can follow Uriah on Twitter, at Uriah Faber. Uriah, as always, thanks for the time, man. Looking forward to watching you this season on The Ultimate Fighter. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. That was my visit with the California kid, Uriah Faber. He's coaching opposite the notorious Conor McGregor this season on The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, New episodes each week on Fox Sports 1. An interesting one so far. Uh, Uriah had some interesting things to say there about Conor's coaching style. Uh, Obviously, it was a no-brainer that uh, Conor McGregor would be included in anything related to UFC television programming after what he's done in terms of live gate and pay-per-view numbers this year, and especially with his big uh, title unification fight, the featherweight title unification fight, 
with Jose Aldo coming down in December. But uh, interesting revelation from Uriah Faber there that that maybe Connor wasn't quite as involved on a day-to-day basis with his team as Uriah was or as, uh, for that matter, other coaches have been in the past. Our own Frank Mir can probably shed some light on that. He's coached a season of the Ultimate Fighter, and uh, maybe we'll have to get into that with him in the coming weeks as uh, the episodes of the ult- this season's Ultimate Fighter unfold. One thing we did not have a chance to talk to Uriah about because that was a a few days ago and the news came out uh, after that my conversation with Uriah is uh, the fact that his teammate, his alpha male teammate and protege, fellow Bantamweight TJ Dillashaw has his next title defense set and it's going to be against Dominic Cruz, the former champion himself, a man who's had I think one fight in about four years due to one injury after another. Well, he's going to return yet again to the octagon. He will take on TJ Dillashaw for TJ's Bantamweight title. It's going to be January 17th in Boston. And for the first time ever, a UFC title is going to be defended on Fox Sports 1. So if you got cable, then that's basically free television. You're not having to uh, hit the pay-per-view, the the buy button on the pay-per-view for that one. And I'll tell you what, for, for my money... T.J. Dillashaw, I think, is is one of the best going right now. I'll tell you what I love about T.J. Dillashaw. I've said it on this show in the past, but this is a guy, whether it is uh, uh, his first fight in particular against Hennon Burrell uh, or his first title defense against Joe Soto, who was a last-minute replacement, if you recall, when uh, Hennon Burrell uh, fainted trying to cut weight. And then, you know, for that matter, the way that he finished Hen and Burrell, uh most recently in their second fight, although that, that one of the three was probably the one that was, that was uh, uh, probably most never in question in terms of this fight is not going to go the distance, against uh, the first fight with Burrell and then the fight with Soto, even though he was winning every round, he still went for the finish and he got it. I mean, especially the first time that he fought Hen and Burrell. The nerve to do that. I mean, here's a guy who is a massive underdog in a fight, is getting the opportunity of a lifetime to challenge for a title, and he still goes for the finish. He still goes for the kill, and he gets it, and he looked phenomenal doing it. So T.J. Dillashaw, uh, these days, one of one of my absolute favorites, and uh, we're going to see him in action. I think a lot of people have felt like, you know, Dominic Cruz, even though he's he's been out of action uh, cumulatively for so long, is still the the uncrowned champion in the sense that he never lost his title. It was just it was stripped from him. It had to be stripped from him due to inactivity. But uh, he never lost that belt. And and uh, you know when he did come back for his one fight, which was uh, I guess last well this past year, uh, he looked fantastic in it before uh, the injury bug bit him again. So. Uh, it's going to be great to have uh, Dominic Cruz return to action and uh, taking on uh, taking on T.J. Dillashaw. That fight already is, uh, I think, going to be one of the hottest fights of the next year, and we don't even have to wait very long to get it. We get it in January. want to thank everybody for tuning in to the show today. Thank you to our sponsors, Trent Cotney at TrentCotney.com, hashtag support the fighters, and Real Water, keeping us hydrated. Get real at uh, DrinkRealWater.com. Check them out and uh, follow those guys on social media. All right, we'll be back next week. Myself, Frank Mir, and Ricky Lundell talking mixed martial arts with you. Same time next week. We'll see you here. Everybody was
Chopping back up, they were chopping back. 